Well, friends, do you ever feel like you're suffering from information overload? I know I often do. You know, when you stop to consider all of the information uh, that surrounds us on a daily basis, it really is almost overwhelming. I want you to think with me for just a moment about how much information exists today. Not only what has already been printed in our libraries, but think about so much of the new information that continues to be created daily with new books, new magazines, new periodicals, new websites, new TV broadcasts, new movies, new podcasts, new videos, to the tune of millions and millions and millions of bits of new information produced daily. And dear friends, what is truly fascinating is when you stop to consider the speed, the speed at which new information is being generated. For instance, just this week I read a statistic about YouTube. Did you know that YouTube, in any single minute, 300 hours of video is uploaded to YouTube? Just think about how much information is being created and shared across the YouTube platform. And it is mind-blowing. And friends, think about it. That's just one platform. That's just one site that exists out in the digital universe. So the rapid expanse of both the printed media and digital information in our world today, it's not only surprising, friends, it is staggering. You know, experts tell us that scientific and biological information is doubling every five years. Technical information is doubling every three years. Genetic information and nanotechnology is doubling every 20 to 24 months. Corporate information in the business world is doubling every 18 months. Online information is doubling every six months. So in other words, friends, different aspects of the world's information is growing at different rates. But if we were to step back, if we were to make one grand summary, if we were to average it all out, here's what it all boils down to, the sum total the sum total of all human knowledge and human information is being doubled every 13 months. Friends, just let that soak in. The sum total of all that we know, the knowledge and the human information is being doubled every 13 months. But friends, here's the thing, despite the fact, despite the fact that digital information and our human knowledge is, is advancing at such warp speed, I think most of you would probably agree with me that wisdom has not kept the same pace. Sure, we've got more information than ever, we've got more knowledge than ever, but are we any wiser for all this information? Has our discernment been increased? Has our morality improved? Has all of this information helped us find purpose in life? Has it helped us build better marriages or relationships with God or with other people? Has it helped us live with a greater peace of mind or heart? Family, it was Dr. Warren Wearsby 
who said this, quote, and I gave this to you in your notes this morning there in your bulletin. Wearsby wrote this, quote, we're living in the information age, but we certainly aren't living in the age of wisdom. Many people who are wizards with their computers seem to be amateurs when it comes to making a success out of their lives. Computers can store data and obey signals, but they can't give us the ability to use knowledge wisely. What's needed today is wisdom. Well, family, we're going to take our Bibles this morning, open once again to Proverbs chapter 1. And last Sunday morning, you and I embarked on a brand new sermon series entitled, Words to the Wise. And family, our goal for this sermon series is to turn our eyes aside from so much of that fast-paced, ever-present content and information that's being generated out there by the secular world. And we want to slow down and help ourselves find some of the timeless truth some of the life-changing divine wisdom that is only found in the inspired Word of God. Family, one of the unique genres of literature that's found inside the Bible is the genre of wisdom literature. And certainly standing at the top of the class when it comes to wisdom literature is this book of Proverbs. It's a tremendous book of scripture that was written and assembled by King Solomon. Now, friends, just before we press forward today in Proverbs chapter 1 and this message that I've entitled The Beginning of Knowledge, we want to take just a moment here, Christian friends, to just pause and remember what we were learning last Sunday morning. Last Sunday, if you were here, we looked at 1 Kings chapter 3. We learned that after offering up to the Lord a thousand sacrifices to demonstrate his love and devotion to God, we read there in that text about the young King Solomon. He was met by the Lord that night in a dream. And in that dream, the Lord invites Solomon to ask anything he would desire. Well, amazingly, Solomon did not ask for great wealth. He didn't ask for honor or fame. He didn't ask for a long life. He didn't ask for the defeat of his political enemies. Instead, we saw last Sunday, Solomon asked the Lord for a divine enablement of wisdom. He wanted wisdom. He wanted discernment so that he could be a good and godly king for the people of Israel. Well, as a result, God did give Solomon that special gift. And we read last week that the Lord was pleased. The Lord was pleased with this request and granted it. And so Solomon gets this divine enablement of wisdom, and by that, Solomon goes on to not only have a great uh, kingship over Israel, but he also goes on, by the Holy Spirit's help, to write this tremendous book of Scripture, the book of Proverbs. Well, families, we come this morning to the opening section here of Proverbs 1, and we start to think about this this all-important subject of wisdom, why did God give us the book of Proverbs? Why did God give us the book of Proverbs? What do verses 1 to 7 tell us about the purpose and the theme of this book? And why should you and I be hungry to absorb and apply this book to our Christian lives today? Well, family, this morning as we dig into God's Word together, I want us to take a deeper look today at three reasons, 
three reasons why God wanted us to have the book of Proverbs and why it is so important for you and me to develop these skills of living wisely in God's world. So family, today we're going to talk about three reasons, three reasons why God wanted us to have the book of Proverbs and why it's so important for us to develop these skills of living wisely in God's world. Here's reason number one, Christians. Number one, to instill godly wisdom for everyday living. Number one, to instill godly wisdom for everyday living. Would you look with me at God's Word now? Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 1. And I'd like to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 5. Scripture says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Now, Christian friends, this is important. When we open the pages of God's Word, it's important to remember that we aren't just reading one kind of literature. But in the Bible, we read many different kinds of literature. And here in verse 1 of our text, King Solomon identifies for us the genre of literature that he is presenting. What kind of literature did Solomon write and assemble in the book of Proverbs? Well, it is this unique genre called the proverb. The proverb. Well, what is a proverb? Well, the Hebrew word for proverb has the idea of a comparison. A comparison. A comparison that's typically laid out in a short, pithy, uh, powerful statement. Now, in our English language, in English, the word proverb in English has the idea of something that is given in the place of words. So, in other words, a proverb is a short, pithy, powerful statement that stands in the place of a much longer statement, and yet that short little statement still expresses deep, profound truth about reality. Now, our world has always used Proverbs to communicate deep truths in short bursts. Every culture has their own Proverbs, including America. One of America's most famous writers, Mark Twain, once wrote these words, Always do right. It will gratify some and astonish the rest. Now that's a proverb. It's short, but it communicates a much deeper truth that makes you think long upon it. Family, here in the Bible, one of the very books of the Bible that God decided to give us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this book of Proverbs. But what makes Proverbs so special, Christians, is that it isn't just a collection of human sayings. Rather, what we have here is time-tested wisdom. It's wisdom for life that comes with God's own divine stamp of approval. 
Now, family, just so you understand, verse 1 tells us, we read it there, about the Proverbs of Solomon. Verse 1 indicates Solomon is the author of Proverbs, but it's important for us to remember, family, Solomon is not the sole author of Proverbs. In addition to Solomon's own contributions, Solomon also collected and he compiled many wise sayings from other people. And if you were to study through the book of Proverbs, you'll uncover other Proverbs that Solomon brought into his collection. Proverbs written by the men of Hezekiah, Agur, King Lemuel. But Solomon was the one who wrote the most. He wrote the lion's share of this book. And because he was the biggest writer and because he's the one who did the compiling and the assembling, the book is called there in verse 1, the book or the Proverbs of Solomon. So in its final form, the book of Proverbs is a special book that God wanted us to have. This, this deposit of practical wisdom and rich insights that God wanted us to know. But for what purpose? For what purpose was Proverbs given? Well, we read it there in verses 2 to 6. In those verses, Solomon starts to unpack. He starts to tell us why that he decided to write and compile and preserve these Proverbs. Did you notice the first of the purposes is there in verse 2? It's right at the front half of verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. Now, you know, friends, sometimes when we as Americans, when we hear the word wisdom or we hear the word wise, as Americans, we typically think about someone who has high intelligence. We hear the word wisdom and we automatically think a smart person. We think the Ivy League education. But listen, back in ancient times in Solomon's world, in the Hebrew world, Wisdom meant much more than just your education. It was more than just having a brain full of knowledge. See, in the ancient world and in the Bible's meaning, the word wisdom literally means skillfulness. Skillfulness. Wisdom is not just having a head full of knowledge, but it is the skillfulness, it is the ability by which you can use that knowledge and instruction in a right way that leads to success. So you see, family, the Bible wants us to know wisdom, true wisdom, is not just the accumulation of facts in one's mind. Real wisdom, true wisdom, is the way a person uses that knowledge in a skillful way. It is skillfully using one's knowledge, using it rightly out in God's world in a way that honors God. Now, skip down to verse 3 and down through verse 5, and you see Solomon begins to unpack this thought, this first purpose, just a little further. Look at verse 3 down through verse 5. Solomon continues to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge, and discretion. Now, these are some important words. What, are, what do some of these key words mean? Well, when you're instructed, you gladly take in that instruction. You take in that teaching that comes to you. Justice is when you make decisions that are just or righteous. Judgment is being able to apply rightly. 
what is right in a certain situation. Equity. Equity means having moral integrity in how you live and how you decide. Prudence. Prudence is exercising sensibility in, in, in deciding practical matters. Discretion is thoughtfulness in decision-making. Family, why did God want us to have the book of Proverbs? So that you and I, as His followers, might have these practical life skills in wisdom. So that we could know how to rightly and uh, how to live rightly, how to live morally, how to live godly in God's world. You know, if you stop to think about it, friend, all of us, all of us, at one point in our lives, we will all be young. We will all be inexperienced. Well, there's nothing evil or nothing inherently sinful about being young or inexperienced. But thankfully, the book of Proverbs exists so that we don't have to stay there. So that we can keep growing. So that we can leave simple-mindedness behind. We can leave ignorance behind. And we can mature into wise people who live our lives in a way that honors God. Did you see verse 5? I like verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Christian friend, can I ask you this morning, do you want that? Do you want that? Is that what you desire for your life? To be a wise woman. To be a wise man. To be a wise college student. To be a wise young person. That is what Proverbs exists to do. It exists to shape you, form you, fashion you into a mature, discerning, wise person. A person who will take God's truth, take his divine counsel, and then skillfully apply it to everyday life. Friends, that is wisdom. That is true wisdom. It's not just having a big brain full of a bunch of useless trivia. No, real wisdom is God's truth applied skillfully to real, everyday life. Now, moving on, let's see a second reason, shall we? A second reason why God used King Solomon to write and assemble the book of Proverbs number 2. To increase mental discernment for life's situations. Number 2. To increase mental discernment for life's situations. Look with me again, family, in verse 2, and then we're also going to read verse 6. Verse 2, Solomon says, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Look down at verse 6. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, Christian friends, when we think about what happens on Christmas Day, you know, a typical Christmas Day is treated as a full-on holiday, right? Stores and businesses are closed. Uh, schools are closed. Most places of, of employment, most offices are closed. People are home. They're resting. They're relaxing. They're celebrating the birth of Jesus with their families. 
But dear friends, did you know this? Did you know that one of the most important battles in American history was fought on Christmas Day? You see, since August of 1776, the British forces, forces under General John Howe had been thoroughly thumping George Washington and our Continental Army. They drove Washington, they drove our Continental troops out of New York City. They drove them all the way across New Jersey. They drove them all the way to the Delaware River, where Washington and the troops escaped across the Delaware River and were trying to take refuge here in Pennsylvania. Things were going horribly for Washington and for our army. In fact, things were going so bad that many people were wondering how long Washington and how long our army could even hold on before we were totally smashed by the British Army. Well, George Washington knew that the only way he could rally his men and change the mood of the Congress and really the morale of our whole country, the only way that would ever be done would be for Washington and the Army to get one decisive win under their belts. Well, in the early morning darkness, it was Christmas Day. 1776, Washington and his men crossed back over the Delaware River and they attacked the Hessian mercenaries there in Trenton, New Jersey, where we won a great victory. Washington had perceived in advance, he perceived that the Hessians, the Hessians were these mercenaries who were hired by the British to come from Germany and fight against us. Washington had perceived that these Hessian mercenaries were probably just sitting around, resting and sleeping and eating on Christmas Day. And he was right. And so when Washington's men steamrolled into the town, the Hessians were caught totally by surprise, totally caught unprepared, and it proved to be an easy victory. Family, because of George Washington's keen discernment, America won its very first real battle of the Revolutionary War. And friends, that was a victory that ignited new hope amongst the soldiers, amongst the Congress, and across our whole nation that we really could beat the British. Believers, listen, even though you and I will never be mighty generals, who lead soldiers onto fields of battle, you and I still need to develop a keen mental discernment. We need to develop some keen mental discernment so that we can be wise about the unique situations that unfold in our own lives. You know, as we look once again at our text here, Solomon writes that one of the primary reasons he wrote Proverbs was to give people an increased mental discernment, an increased mental sharpness for life's uh, situations. Look back at verse 2 with me, believers. In the first half of the verse, we read that, right? Solomon said that Proverbs were written to know wisdom and instruction. But now look at the second half of verse 2. To perceive the words of understanding. Family, that word perceive, the Hebrew word for perceive, means to have discernment. It means to think something through keenly with one's mind. 
It means using your mental intelligence in a careful way so that you can come to a right decision. So why does Proverbs exist? Why is this book in your Bible? Why did God know it was a good thing to include the book of Proverbs in the canon of Scripture? Here's the answer. Because Proverbs has a way of sharpening your mental awareness. It sharpens your mental abilities. As you read it and as you think on it and as you study it, you will develop a keen sense of discernment that can help you make wise mental choices that you can live right for God in God's world. Look down to verse 6, family. You see that same theme being expanded a little bit in verse 6. Solomon is again talking there about the power of Proverbs to sharpen our intellects, to to help us develop the the mental tools that we need for success. Look at verse 6. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, we already talked a minute ago about what is a proverb. We defined that. A proverb is a short, pithy statement that is pregnant with a deeper meaning. But what is an enigma? What is an enigma? Well, by definition, an enigma is something that is mysterious, something that is puzzling, something that's a little difficult to understand. By way of example, family, many people today, many people today, the discussion of origins is an enigma. The discussion of origins, where we came from, Where did the universe come from? Where did all of this come from? That's the discussion of origins. For many people, that subject is quite an enigma. It's quite mysterious. It's quite dark to them. Very difficult to discern. But friends, isn't it true with God's wisdom? With God's wisdom, with God's revelation, we know how to answer some of those difficult origin questions, don't we? Where did human beings come from? And where did the world come from? And where did the universe come from? Well, those origin questions are difficult, but we have God's word to give us answers. Did you see there verse 6 also mentioned words of the wise and their riddles? What Solomon's talking about here are these parables. Parables and other kinds of obscure sayings. Solomon is not talking about the little funny riddles that we used to tell each other when we were kids. Little word puzzles and story puzzles. No. Riddles, in this sense, are difficult things in life. The difficult things that are unclear need to be thought through. They need to be interpreted and and found an answer to. You know, all around us even today, there are many thought-provoking, many perplexing problems that many people today would call riddles. They're difficult things that we don't have an easy answer to. It takes a lot of mental discernment to think through these things, even as Christians. Can I give you a few examples of some of the riddles we're dealing with in in our own modern day? Let me lay out a few of these ethical challenges before you for a moment. Should Christians serve in the military and go to war? Can a Christian kill enemy combatants with a clear conscience? Is there such a thing as a just war? 
Is it acceptable for a young woman to choose an abortion if she was the victim of a gang rape or if she was suffered an incest from her cousin? Is assisted suicide permissible when that person has a terminal disease and they are just weeks or months away from certain death? If a person is born with ambiguous genitalia, is their gender up for debate? Should Christians be for or against birth control? What should Christians think about today's designer babies? I'm talking about gene editing and sex selection amongst embryos. Now, friends, I'm not answering any of those questions for you today. But I am using them as examples of many enigmas that are in our world today. Many perplexities of life that exist in your world. So what do we do with those difficult perplexities? Do we just throw up our hands in despair and say, I don't know. Do we just give up ever having an answer? Do we say that everyone ought to just do whatever they feel is right for themselves? No, of course not. Of course not. Praise God. Not only do we have the, the book of Proverbs to give us wisdom and discernment, praise God, we have the whole rest of God's Word. We have the whole rest of inspired Scripture to give us the guidance we need and the wisdom we need and the insights we need that can help us address even the most brain-bending perplexities of human existence. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What about Psalm 119, 105? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Christians, why do you and I so desperately need the book of Proverbs? Why can we be so grateful to God that Proverbs is included in our Bibles? Well, we've seen, number one, it exists to instill godly wisdom in us so that we can honor God with our everyday living. And number two, it's there to increase our mental discernment so that we can think our way through clearly as we battle these difficult situations. But friends, here's the third reason. The third reason that God was so pleased to give us Proverbs, number three, to impart a foundational reverence for God. Number three, to impart a foundational reverence for God. Look at verse seven. Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, Christians, no matter what kind of a book you pick up today, a print book, digital book, e-book, any kind of book you pick up, friends, tends to have a theme with it. Every book has a theme. Every book has a main idea that just seems to resonate again and again throughout the book. Now, this week I actually read an article that talked about some of the most common themes that exist in most books and in most literature. 
These are some of the most famous themes that show up again and again and again. They show up in novels. They show up in nonfiction. They show up in short stories. And you know these themes. These are themes in all across all kinds of literature. Themes like crime doesn't pay. Or overcoming the odds. Or love conquers all. Or humanity versus nature. Or a coming of age story. Or the individual versus the evil society. Or the person who is their own worst enemy. I mean, these are all kinds of famous themes that show up again and again across all kinds of literature. Well, family, in verse 7, verse 7 is the theme of Proverbs. Verse 7 is the theme of Proverbs. All Bible scholars agree this is the theme of the book. Here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, by way of reminder, family, when the Bible teaches us about having a fear of the Lord, this fear is not, it's not a panic-stricken, terrified, running away in fear like you see people in the movies running from Godzilla or running from an earthquake or some other natural disaster. That's not what the Bible means by having a fear of the Lord. No, when the Bible talks about fear here, we could almost use this phrase that having a fear or a right fear is actually having a reverential respect of God. A reverential respect of God. So in other words, true wisdom, true knowledge in God's world starts right here. It starts at this point that we understand that God really exists. God exists and He is awesome. He is all-inspiring. He's almighty. He's transcendent. He's a glorious, powerful, mighty, holy, awesome God. He's incredibly gracious, yet He sits above all space, all time. He sits above matter. He sits above the universe as the sovereign God. We did not make Him. He made us. And so true wisdom, true knowledge begins at this point with this fact that God exists and I am living in His world. So it isn't that I'm terrified of God, but I do have a reverential respect of God. I realize that His sovereignty is over all creation, it's over all the universe, it's over all life, and it's even over my life, such that I seek to take God into account in all my life's decisions and in all my life's behaviors. That is the fear of the Lord. Family, look in your notes. I gave you this great quote that came from a Christian writer, Charles Bridges. He said this, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his Father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love is so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him. Christian friend, the Bible says that this fear of the Lord is where true wisdom, it's where true knowledge begins. But we need to understand this, family. When we use this 
beginning idea. We don't want to think that we are going to start here and move away from it. Like, like a typical race begins, like a NASCAR race has a, has a starting line and you begin there, but then all the cars leave there. No, we don't want to think of it that way. That's not what this idea is suggesting. Instead, we need to think of the fear of the Lord more like the controlling principle of our lives. Or better yet, we can think of the fear of the Lord as the foundation upon which our whole life and existence is built. Now, let me ask a question here. Has anyone this morning here, has anyone in this audience ever been to Italy? Have, has anyone here ever been to Italy or have ever visited the Tower of Pisa? I know we do have some world travelers in our congregation. I wondered if anyone has been to the Tower of Pisa. You know, family, just this week I was reading a little bit about this famous tower. It was constructed back in the 1100s. Most people think that the Tower of Pisa started to lean after the construction was concluded. That's not true. In reality, this tower started to lean by the time the workers finished the third story. By the third story, it was already starting to lean. Now you have to understand the issue here about why it is leaning. The word pisa actually comes from a Greek word that means marshy land. Marshy land. The reason for the leaning tower of Pisa, dear friends, is because it has a bad foundation. The original foundation to this tower, believe it or not, was only 10 feet deep. Can you imagine that? A tower this large only having a foundation of only 10 feet. But that wasn't the only other, the, there was another problem, the soil. The soil that the foundation was put into was very unstable. It was made up of sand and clay and nearby deposits from these rivers. By 1900, the architects and the engineers measured the Tower of Pisa's catastrophic tilt. It was measured at more than 15 feet of difference. 15 feet off from top to bottom. And believe it or not, it was only more recently, in 2008... It took engineers until 2008 to finally be able to get down into the soil and finally stop the tilting. But even still, friends, they give no guarantees. No guarantees that in another hundred years or so that this tower won't completely come crashing to the ground. And when it does, it will be because of a faulty foundation. Friend, let me ask you this morning, how is the foundation of your life? Do you have this solid bedrock beneath you, this rock-solid belief, this understanding that the Lord exists, that the Lord is almighty, that this universe is all His, and that you answer to Him? Is that foundation there in your life? Is it your goal to honor God and live wisely as you live in God's world? I'm asking, do you have a proper fear of the Lord as the foundation for your life? Or are you more like the foolish man whom Solomon describes at the end of verse 7? You see it there at the end of verse 7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
Remember Psalm 14, verse 1, Scripture says there, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Friend, if you want a life that's marked by wisdom and knowledge and discernment, where your life isn't going to lean over into sin and foolishness and ultimately crash in a spectacular judgment of destruction, friend, you need this rock-solid foundation under you. You need this genuine reverence for God. You need the fear of the Lord to build your life upon. It must be the controlling principle of your life. This is why Proverbs was given. This is why the entire Scripture was given. So that you and I might develop a reverential respect for the Lord so that we can have wisdom, so that we can live skillfully in God's world. Look in your notes there, family. Dr. Roy Zuck was for many years a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I love his definition of wisdom. He said this, wisdom means being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities, observing and following the Creator's principles of order in the moral universe. That's right. You know, maybe you're here today, you're listening this morning, you're not a Christian. Maybe for years you've been in denial. You've been in denial about God's existence. You've been in denial about God's sovereignty over all things. You've been in denial about you answering to God someday, about you being accountable to Him. You know, perhaps the Lord's been trying to get through to you in recent weeks or recent months, and this sermon today is just another reminder to you of how foolish you have been. This sermon is just another reminder to you of how messed up your foundation is, about how your whole life is tilted over. Dear friend, if God is speaking to your heart today, listen to Him. If God is trying to wake you up, it's time to listen. Scripture says, In Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friend, the wisdom you're looking for starts by your believing upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Savior that God sent for you. God does not want you to persist in your, in your ignorance, your foolishness. That's just the way to physical death and eternal death. But God sent Jesus, His one and only Son, to be your Savior. When we believe on Jesus, not only do we get our sins forgiven... We get started on a new path full of wisdom and knowledge so that we can navigate this world wisely. So friend, humble yourself today. Humble yourself. Acknowledge your foolishness. Acknowledge your rebellion. Acknowledge your own sins. And then call out to Jesus. Invite Jesus to be the Lord and the Master of your life. Knowing Jesus as your Savior, that is the first step on your new path to wisdom. So invite Jesus to be your master today. Believers, as we draw to a close this morning, let me ask you, do you hunger and thirst for wisdom? Christian friend, do you yearn for wisdom? Do you yearn for it so that you can have a skillful journey through this world? You know, as we've looked at these first seven verses of Proverbs today, we've seen these special purposes that God has given this special book of Scripture. Christian, I want to ask you, do you honestly want what God is offering? Do you want godly wisdom 
for practical, everyday living? Do you want that mental discernment that can help you make sense out of life's great challenging situations? Do you want this foundational reverence for God so that you can live as a wise person rather than a fool? Christian friend, we live in a world today that is drowning, drowning in information. Everywhere we turn, it's information overload. But friends, as we've learned today, what we really need is not more information. We need more wisdom. More wisdom. The Bible is the wisdom of God from cover to cover. But what good will that divine wisdom do if you never allow it to cross over from the printed page to your everyday life? Believers, you go out for a new week. Ask the Lord by the Holy Spirit to stir up in you a desire for wisdom. A heartfelt yearning for wisdom. Ask God to give you that hunger, to give you that desire for wisdom, and then come to the Scriptures. Come to the Scriptures ready to absorb, ready to apply, ready to learn, and to see your skills in wisdom be increased. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 challenges us. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Christian, may the Lord help you to walk in wisdom this week by the power of His written Word. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.